This is episode 65 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and my guest tonight is making his debut on the show. He's a contributor for heavyhockey.com and the number one Buffalo Sabres fan in Alberta, Jeff Aid. Jeff, how's it going tonight, man? It's going good, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be going good, right? Your team just beat the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a great game. Um, you know, they were came back, they were down 2-1, starting the third period, and uh, ended up winning it 4-3. So you got to love those kind of things deep in the season in a playoff race. Uh, Alex Tuck got two goals. He's got 30 on the year now, and lots of positives to take from that. Oh, definitely. I mean, I wish uh, my Oilers would have had a, a little more luck on the weekend and got a, got the win in Toronto. But, uh, you know, that's a, it's a tough building to go into, and it's good that uh, your team was able to steal a win there, especially considering they're in a, a playoff race right now and, you know, doing it against a division rival, it never hurts. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, those games against Toronto, they're always exciting, you know, a big rival game and feels like everybody hates Toronto, the, the center of the universe, right? So always good to get those wins against the Leafs. Yeah, you know, you don't have to tell me about hating the Leafs <laughs> or, or anyone in oil country for that matter. Um, and we had a chance to actually meet for the first time last weekend when we were both playing in the 2023 Heavy Hockey Showdown. Actually, there was a, a picture on Twitter of uh, you defending me in front of the net, and uh, it actually caused a few people to comment if it was a penalty or not. And I jokingly <laughs> said that it wasn't. It's all good. But I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, no, it was good. You know, we, we talked for all these months and everything like that. And it's good to get a chance to meet in person. And uh, I think the first time you and I met would have been just on the ice when we were squaring off against each other. Yeah, like, exactly. Hey, <laughs> nice to meet you. How's it going? And, you know, I was playing defense there and we're battling in front of the crease. And, you know, it was lots of good times, though. So it was great, uh, great to uh, put on that uh, event for the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton. And, you know, it's a good for a good cause, you know. We've been talking for months, like I said, and uh, some of these people we've been talking for years, and it's good to get a chance and uh, put a face and a voice to these people and get to see them in person and hang out, right? So it was a really good weekend last weekend. I'm glad we uh, got to make it happen. Oh, for sure. And I mean, some of the guys that uh, I played with, uh, I did know them in the past. I mean, of course, Michael A. Bear and Mike Durst are two guys that I've known for a long time, but I've had Dash on the podcast a couple times, and you know, we talk on Twitter all the time. Well, that was my first time meeting him. I was meeting you as well. And, and you see a, a few familiar faces from the event uh, in years past when it was still um, under the Oilers live banner uh, uh, before the pandemic, of course. So, yeah, to have uh, the Oilers Live Cup kind of turn into this new event now and just sort of keep the tradition going of raising money for a good cause. And, of course, there there aren't many better causes than raising money for uh, sexual assault victims uh, and survivors. It's just, it's uh, it, it was a great weekend overall. Yeah, no, well said. I can't wait to the future because uh, it's going to be an annual event and I look forward to next year's event. Oh, without a doubt, man. And like you said, I mean, we kind of skated over to each other for the first time and said, oh, hey, hey, how's it going? Like, we'll have to do the podcast next week. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was cool, man. Um, well, Look, we're going to talk a lot about the Sabres tonight. We're going to get into some Oilers, too. But before we do that, I just want to find a little bit about your own background as a hockey fan and Sabres fan specifically. So let's just start right at the beginning. When did you start following hockey and how did you become a Sabres fan? Yeah, no, um, we'll take the life trip and everything like that. And I, I've been a huge hockey fan since just since as long as I can remember. Um I started playing when I was five years old and in kindergarten and 
I feel like I was kind of uh, like born into a hockey family as well. Um, my older brother, who's five years older, he also played as well. And my dad, uh, he used to coach my brother. And my dad, my dad also used to work for Edmonton Minor Hockey Association as well. So um, for about 10 years in the like mid to 90s to the early 2000s, my dad was the novice director for all of Edmonton. So it was up to him to kind of tier and uh, level out the playing field throughout the, uh, all the different levels of novice throughout the whole city. So um, my dad was always kind of in different rinks watching hockey, and I was always sometimes just following him. So hockey's always been a part of my whole life, just from my dad, my brother, just always playing myself. And uh, as for the Sabres thing, well, it's, it is a little weird because, yeah, I'll admit, I, I, I am born and raised in Edmonton. I'm an Edmontonian, you know, my whole entire life. But uh, I don't know, just uh, my dad and my brother are diehard Oilers fans. And uh, as a kid, I always kind of, you know, I always kind of had this little attitude. Well, just because I was born here doesn't mean I have to just <laughs> automatically start cheering for them. Right. Yeah. So I was kind of always rebelling a little bit and like, oh, I don't have to cheer for the Oilers. Right. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I decided on Buffalo because uh, my mom's uh, my mom's side of the family kind of uprooted life from Edmonton to Buffalo. So okay. when I was a kid, maybe around eight to ten years old, my my aunt uh, married an American and she uprooted life and left from Edmonton to Buffalo. So that's kind of how it started. Um, when I was a kid, my my aunt was joking with my dad, saying she's going to brainwash me and turn me into a Sabres fan and. Well, my, my auntie kind of did, you know, <laughs> since I was a little like 10 year old, she's been sending me Sabres stuff like jerseys and shirts and just any little thing you can just find in a local dollar store. You can't really right. find here. Right. So, so it's, I mean, sorry, that's an interest, interesting story for sure. And I, I mean, I think usually when you uh, have people living in an NHL city, you, you, the majority of them are going to cheer for the hometown team, but there are plenty of instances like I have, friends in calgary who aren't flames fans um and i mean i'm sure if you go across canada there's going to be people who live in different cities that cheer for different teams like i grew up in a sat in a city that doesn't have an nhl team in saskatoon so here you see fans of all different teams although calgary and edmonton would probably be two of the more popular ones especially with fans under 40 because it's so close to uh, those cities respectively you start to see some original six fan bases as the the fans get a little bit older um but for yourself like cheering for the sabers do you even have like the the slightest bit of um allegiances to the oilers like when the sabers are done in the playoffs or, or are you not a fan of them at all see when i was younger i i was more inclined to like um cheer for multiple teams i guess like i would say the sabers are my east team and the Oilers would be my west team right so right. i was kind of doing like uh, multiple teams when i was younger but um so i'm not sure how old you are <laughs> but when I, when I was 18 years old um that was in 2006 and i was 17 in 2006 right on so you and i are roughly the same age there yeah. so yeah i was i was 18 years old and to me that was like the big year where i was like holy shit i might get my my dream stanley cup matchup <laughs> And all throughout that playoffs, I kind of had friends kind of like, oh, you, you got to make a decision, man. Like, what if Buffalo and Edmonton meet in the final? What are you going right. to do? So it was around 2006 that I kind of like, you know what? I, I got to make, you know, I got to make a decision one way or the other. And I kind of just went for Buffalo because I, I figured, you know what? This team has zero championships. They still have zero today. But back then I was like, this team has zero cups. And, 
you know, it's going to mean so much to that city, so much to that organization. Like that city of Buffalo is going to just explode if and when they ever get their Stanley Cup. So yeah. back in 2006, I was just like, okay, Sabres are my thing. Like, you know, like I'm going for Buffalo all the way, you know. And I'll admit, like, I just, I just love hockey as a whole. And living in the city of Edmonton, as you know, like it's a hockey crazy place. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, yeah, hockey craze in the city. So as for the Oilers, I will admit it's, it's sometimes where it's, it's hit or miss. Like I, I, I try to be neutral with them. But like last season, I was lucky enough. I got f- tickets to four different playoff games. And just last year, I got my first like Oilers shirt in like 15 years. Cause okay. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to go to a playoff game and just wear like, you know, I'm not the type. I'm not going to wear Buffalo stuff if Buffalo's not playing. Right. And I didn't want to go to a playoff game last year, just regular clothes. So I finally got an Oilers like shirt last year and I own one Oilers shirt and that's it. So I would say I'm like kind of in the middle with them, but like, you know, I got a lot of friends and family are Oilers fans and, oh, yeah. you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, it's sometimes, as like I said, it's, it's a situational thing. Like sometimes just like to rib or give it to my friends like oh you know they're gonna lose tonight or i hope they lose but yeah there's certain situations you. like if it's a big important game like all right guys i'll support you tonight you know like go oilers go let's see yeah no I, and i think the fact that buffalo and edmonton are in different conferences and only play each other twice a year probably makes it a little bit easier it's not like they're battling for the same playoff spots um and that is awesome that you were able to go to a, a few playoff games i went to my first ever playoff game last uh, spring as well it was game one against the kings do you happen to remember some of the games you went to by the way last year yeah yeah i went to both the games against the kings sorry the game ones and game two okay so i went to uh, one nice (laughs) and then i was lucky enough to go to both games against colorado in games three and four as well oh nice so the game four against colorado where they lost in overtime that was a rough one and not gonna lie like yeah and I, like I said, I was supporting the Oilers during that playoff race because uh, I, I was honestly, I was a huge fan of Jay Woodcroft. And when they made that coaching change last year, I was kind of like, you know what? I'm not the biggest Ken Holland fan, but I feel like that's a good move. Like Jay Woodcroft, I think is what this team needs. And I kind of said, like when he started coaching the, it was like what, January, February last year, I was like, this is the turning point this team needs, right? So, so when they started going on a bit of a playoff run, I was like, yes, like Woodcroft is paying off and it's so far so good kind of thing. So I was, I will admit I was hopping on the bandwagon last playoffs, you know? Well, I mean, and I totally get that. And and with the Sabres being out of the playoffs and not, not to mention that, sorry about that, but <laughs> I mean, and, and the Oilers, you know, going on their deepest run since 2006. I mean, it, I think probably just as an Edmontonian, easy to sort of jump on that bandwagon a little bit. And to just go back to that year for a second, I remember when the Oilers beat the Ducks in the 2006 Western Conference final to advance to the Stanley Cup final. And then you looked over to the East. I thought Buffalo was going to beat Carolina. So I was envisioning a Stanley Cup final between our two teams. And I'm sure you would have loved that as well, because uh, even as expensive as I assume the tickets would have been back then, uh, I'm sure that you would have found your way to uh, one of those <laughs> games in Edmonton if the Oilers and Sabres would have met in the final. Yeah, and back then I, I only was able to go to one playoff game in Edmonton, and I won't forget it because it was actually the game they eliminated Detroit in the first round. Oh, great. And that was a great game because it was Steve Eiserman's last game. They had the good yeah. comeback in the third period to eliminate Detroit. And that was just an amazing game to be alive. So, but yeah, as you're right, like back then, as I said, I was 18 years old and tickets were kind of expensive, right? So 
I, I took that loss really hard uh, to Carolina because I was just dreaming, you know, even if I wasn't able to going to go to games or not, I was going to be there live and yep. I was going to cheer on Buffalo as best I can. Right. And the funny thing is I mentioned, I got family out there and um, my grandpa and my aunt and a couple of family members, they, they, the promise they made to me is if Buffalo won the cup, they would make sure to fly me out to Buffalo for the Stanley cup. Parade. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that, that was kind of the cool thing I was do. hoping for. I was like, sorry, go ahead. That would have been cool. I mean, for especially for a kid like you who is like a Sabres, you know, number one van in Alberta, like to get the chance to go out and take part in that parade, I'm sure you would have jumped to the chance. Yeah, so that's what I was looking forward to. Like, I didn't think I'd be able to get tickets, but I was just, hey, if Buffalo can actually pull off a Stanley Cup win, uh, my grandpa's like, oh, I'll help you get there, and I'm hopping on the first flight I can to Buffalo. But, but as we all know, the Sabres didn't even make it to the final that year, and uh, wow. well, Carolina ended up winning the Cup, so all my Oilers friends and myself, we can all hate Carolina together. Yeah. So it's so because the Oilers or because the the Hurricanes took out the Sabers, were you cheering for the Oilers in the final then? Yeah, hundred percent. I was that year because it was one of those things where I didn't want to see Carolina kind of celebrate something that I felt like we should have been there, kind of thing, right? And um, I mean, so I, I was hundred percent cheering for the Oilers that year. So you know, I was a huge uh, huge fan actually of Jason Smith. He was one of my favorite player Oiler players as a kid. And I just really love Jason Smith. I want to see him host, uh, host the cup at center ice there. Yeah, that would have been a dream come true. And I mean, I went to my first ever Oilers game earlier that year in, in April of 06, right before the playoffs. So, I mean, I would have tried to make my way out there for the parade as well. I uh, was just starting my first ever job at the time, so I wouldn't have had the money to, uh, to make it to a, a playoff game in Edmonton at 17. I think the the gas alone to drive out uh, from Saskatoon probably would have emptied my bank account. But yeah. uh, uh, like I said, last year I was finally able to go to a a playoff game at Edmonton. I I would have went at some point earlier in the the, the past eleven years if uh, I had been uh, in the area because I was I was living in Toronto for a while for school. The the one year they did make it before that in 2017, and of course uh, they they went a decade without making the playoffs, which sort of prolonged the the first uh, playoff game for me. But no, that that was a hell of a run. And I'm sure that, uh, uh, I mean, you were living in Edmonton at the time. You know what that city would have been like if they would have actually uh, capped it off with a cup. Yeah, it was outrageous. And as I mentioned, I was 18 years old. And I'm not proud of a lot of my past, but I'll admit I was on White Ave and kind of having some fun sometimes. And <laughs> there was some outrageous parties. But looking back, it was something you kind of always remember because you just, I don't know, sometimes at an 18 year old, you're going to, you're going to live a little and kind of experience some things. I don't know. Exactly. But it, it, was, it was a blast. It was a blast. I saw a lot of pictures of people climbing street lights and <laughs> anything that they could stand on top of cars. Uh, it looked like a, a pretty wild time, but uh, I mean, I, it just goes back to like what you were saying, how Edmonton is a hockey crazed city. And um, I, I know that the golden bears are uh, a perennial, championship program there and the oil kings have won a few whl championships but it's oilers above everything else yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. and um we talked about uh, you becoming a sabers fan sort of in the late 90s that probably would have lined up with right around the time when they went to the stanley cup final in 1999 so i just want to ask i assume it's players from that cup run specifically but who were some of your favorite sabers players as a kid yeah, no, you got it spot on. Around that time is uh, 
that was like their heyday. And it's funny because when people ask me today, like the Sabres suck, how do you love them so much? You know, and I'm like, hey, when I was a kid, <laughs> they were a good team, you know, and Hasek, you know, Dominic Hasek was the main one. You know, I, I was never a goalie. Like when I played growing up, I was always a center. And then when I got older, I moved to defense, but I just loved Hasek's just unique style. You know, to me, just seeing somebody so unorthodox and so just different in the crease. I was just such a huge Hasek fan, you know, so Hasek was, a, I guess, the main one there. And also, I was a huge, just also Mike Pekka fan. I thought Pekka was a great, just, I loved his defensive style, the the Selkie type of forward. You know, he wore the C there. So Mike Pekka, Maxim Finneganov was another one, too. So they had some great names there, you know, so they had a great team. And as for just the, the few favorites, I would have to go with Hasek and Pekka, you know, uh, playing street hockey as a kid. Uh, I'd wear my Sabres goat head jersey with the friends there, and I would always either, if I was in net, I'd pretend to be Hasek and flopping around, or else I'd pretend to be Pekka there too. So so those would be my my two key ones. And it was kind of funny because in 1999, Dallas Dallas beat Edmonton in the first round, and then they beat Buffalo in the fourth round. The yeah. finals. And so once again, it's like we have all these connections a little bit too with the Carolina in 06 and then Dallas in 99. and. So we have some mutual enemies there too, right? Yeah. So. Uh, well, and and as well, Mike Pekka, who was like you said, a, a big part of that Sabres run in 1999. <laughs> he was a bottom six forward for the Oilers in 2006. So yeah. I'm sure there was part of you that would have liked to see him get that cup with Edmonton as well. Yeah. No, I was a huge. It was, it was only here for one year, I believe. Edmonton, he was. was yeah. He signed with the Leafs the the following year. Yeah, and just it was it was great to see him kind of in Edmonton, and like as much as um you know back as a kid I was more I was a fan of both teams, so I really loved seeing players who did go from both Edmonton and Buffalo kind of thing. And Mike Greer is another one. I love Mike Greer as a kid actually, and I remember actually meeting Mike Greer as a kid it, when he was an Oiler and getting his autograph. And uh, I just always remember he was just a nice, genuine dude. And I was like, man, this guy's like a big hunk and like pro hockey player but he was just so just genuine and soft-spoken to us kids and i was like mike greer is awesome so yeah he's another guy i want to bring up because yeah watching him as an oiler and then later on as a saber uh mike greer was another player i was a huge fan of too and, and also i just going back to hasek for a second um i think whether or not you were a goalie he must have <laughs> been probably the most popular sabers player at the time Let's not forget that he won back-to-back heart trophies in the late 90s as a goaltender, which is almost unheard of and has been done since. It's rare enough for a goalie to win the Hart Memorial Trophy as the most valuable player in the NHL, but to do it in back-to-back years during Yager's heyday when he's winning four straight Art Ross trophies, to take two of them away from him, that just shows you on what what an elite level Hasek was. And, And that's part of the reason why um, some people consider him the best goalie to ever play the game. I, uh, yeah, you nailed the spot on, you know, Hasek, somebody that I, I feel a little biased too much if I would say things like that, but I'm glad you mentioned it yourself saying some look at him as the greatest goalie of all time, you know? Well, I think Martin Brodeur was sort of the de facto answer for a long time, but it really seems like since, since Hasek, Wah and Brodeur all retired, and those are kind of considered like the three best goaltenders of their generation or their era. When you look back at it now, that that mentality of Brodeur being the best has sort of shifted over to Hasek a little bit. And I'm not going to take anything away from Brodeur. I mean, all-time leader in wins, shutouts. But it just seems like Hasek's getting a little more credit now than maybe he did in the past. And, and they're looking at what Brodeur did as maybe more of a systems thing that he played on one of the best defensive teams ever in New Jersey. And had a lot of like 20 save shutouts, whereas Hasek was 
uh, you know, like you said, standing on his head every night and willing a less talented team than the Devils had at that time to a Stanley Cup final. Yeah, no, you said well said there because uh, it seemed like you know I, I, we we were kids back then, so maybe it's tough to gauge, but it just didn't seem like Hasek got the the praise that he's getting now today. You know what I mean? And you know, uh, well said again with the defense there because uh, New Jersey had a really good system set up, uh, defensive minded with guys like Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer. You know, so you know, not not trying to take anything away from Berger, like you said, but just he he had a bit of a different uh, different situation there set up in New Jersey. Yeah, definitely, and. Let's not forget also in 1998, I mean, you could argue at that time that Yarmer Yager was the best skater in the world and Hasek was the best goaltender in the world, both playing for the Czech Republic and led the Czech Republic to a gold medal at the 1998 Winter Olympics in Nagano. So it was sort of like a, a perfect uh, timing for, for hockey in that country to have like like the best forward and the best goaltender at the same time. Yeah, it was a great time, and they happened to, you know, eliminate Canada and all that stuff. But that's the tough a, part. <laughs> that is the very tough part, you know. And the Olympics always get people going in a little way because sometimes you want to cheer for your players, but then your players are in a different country. So it's always the Olympics are always fun, and I wish they can get that agreement figured out sometime soon here. But it's yeah, back then it was great to see Hasek uh, kind of not only leading the way for the Sabers, but also just on a world stage too. So pretty much mm -hmm. the whole entire world could see what kind of what kind of goalie he really was and what kind of MVP he was. Yeah, and I mean, it's tough for me as a Gretzky fan because that's the only Olympics that Wayne Gretzky was ever able to play in and, you know, not getting to go in the shootout and everything. It was his second last year in the league. You would have loved to have seen him win one more gold for Canada. You know, he, he, Gretzky led Canada to three straight Canada Cup victories um, in, the, in the 80s through to the early 90s and then ended with a disappointing loss to the States in the 96 uh, World Cup of Hockey. So. Would have been nice to rebound with one more championship before his career was over in 98, um, or his last international tournament, I'm saying, in 98. But just, uh, yeah, a, a tough break, but like you, you can't take anything away from that Czech team. Uh, like I said, perfect uh, perfect combination of events to have uh, Hasek and Yager both in their prime at the same time. No, that's, that's for sure, yeah. So and, I can't uh, Sure. I'm sure you're a big fan, like you said, of the, the goat head jersey, too. I will tell you, when I was growing up uh, playing minor hockey in Saskatoon, we started wearing Ottawa Senators style jerseys, the ones that they wear right now. And somewhere in the early 2000s, the zone that I played in switched over to those Buffalo Sabres style jerseys, which are similar to what the, the Senators wear, but uh, obviously with the silver and white accents on the side as well. Um, so I'm still a big fan of that jersey. It, we wore a different logo that we were called the Saskatoon Bobcats. So the, the logo is is different, but the, the jersey is, is identical. Other than that, so every time I see the Sabers wear that jersey, part of me is just like, you know, I, I love to see that back because that's the uniform that I wore for about a decade uh, playing in Saskatoon. So I, I love it. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. I uh, yeah, as we mentioned, I, I became a fan around that era, like in the mid to late '90s, and that's that's right. what they had. You know, that was their logo, that was their color scheme. You know, so I'll admit my favorite is still kind of their like the original look, but just they have so many good memories with the goat head, and like that was just so many, so many great years. Like they only had that jersey and that color for like about ten years, but just so many good years during that ten year span. Yeah, I was gonna ask you that next if you prefer the. The, the black and, and red and silver to the, the blue and gold. But 
Um, I think that the Sabres will always still be linked to those that original color scheme that they started with in the early 70s. But it's cool that they're able to still have that look while have this very different third jersey. You see a few teams do that, right? Like the Canucks, they wear their blue and, and green as their primary colors, but then they still bring back the the black, uh, golden, and red look from the 90s as well. So some teams can have this completely off-the-board alternate jersey. The Oilers kind of have a different look. I mean, the, the one that they had in, in the early 2000s, the Todd McFarland, that they've yeah. now brought back as a reverse retro. It's different enough, but it's not like the color scheme is completely different. Like blue and, and orange are still in it, even though they might be slightly different shades. But that jersey that the Sabres wear is completely different from their, their usual look. Oh, 100%. Yeah, completely different. Uh, and so, but, you, but to just finish up on that, you are uh, uh, preferring the, the blue and gold. Yeah, you know, if I had to, I'd prefer the blue and gold. To me, that's just... Um... I don't know. I feel like black's overdone a lot in sports, especially in hockey. And I feel like the blue and gold are just like, that's the original, like that's the vintage from the seventies kind of thing. And I don't know, to me, that just has just the more, just, yeah, just brings more, just the history's attached to it too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Both. They're both, like I said, they're both great in different ways. I just, if I had to pick one or the other, I would pick the blue and gold over, but this year I forget offhand, I should have looked it up, but their record is like phenomenally like, better with the goat heads like they, they everybody's talking about they should have switched jerseys back full time <laughs> with the way they've been winning compared to losing with the, the goat heads this year that's funny i mean i you hear the same thing about the oilers alternate jersey to the the one with no white on it the um the adidas one that they brought out about in in, in 2019-20 so uh, and it's not the most popular jersey with everyone i know whenever i watch an oilers game with my dad he says he hates that one but and I mean, that jersey is attached to a lot of great memories for me, too, in the 2022 playoffs last year with the Oilers going to the Western Conference final. Uh, Connor hitting his 100th point in 53 games back in uh, 2020-21. So that might not be everybody's favorite, but I I think there's enough important Oilers moments in the last uh, few years that uh, I'll, I'll always be fond of it. Yeah, no, I, I'll agree. And honestly, I, this might be a totally different topic, but I think sometimes jerseys are a little overrated in a way because, like at the end of the t- at the end of the day, as long as your team wins, do you, do you really care what they're wearing? Right? Exactly. So, like, I mean, I know sometimes I, other jerseys look better than others, but I feel like all we want is our team to win, right? So, yeah. yeah, and I'll admit I am a big jersey guy, and I do think that the Oilers' current home and away set, which they you know wore back in the glory years, is the is one of the cleanest looks in the NHL. Um, and the Sabres, they sort of experimented with going, going back to their original look a little bit, but with, with an updated sort of, uh, color scheme, like before they were wearing the dark blue and yellow with some silver in there. I I like that they were trying to go back to somewhat of their original look, but I I think if you're going to go vintage, just go full vintage. Don't try to do like this updated version of it the fans just want to see the original color scheme and i think they got it right going back to more of the royal blue than the navy blue that they were wearing yeah no that's a good point yeah and i their current jerseys are probably like my favorite i'd say because like you said they it's like the originals with a little just modernized modernized like spin to it right yeah exactly um and i want to know what do you remember about the first sabers game you ever attended 
See, that's <laughs> I don't I hate to say, but I don't remember much too much. I was I just remember I was a teenager and they were wearing their goat heads and Buffalo did win. And I do remember it was a it would have been like in the early 2000s, roughly. Because I remember as a well, no, it was like probably 2006 actually. Because I think it was Ryan Miller versus UC UC Markin. Okay. So I remember it was like a UC Markin versus Ryan Miller like goalie matchup, and Buffalo did win. But as for like major memories, I don't remember all too too much. Sorry, I was uh, like I said, it's been many years now. Holy and yeah, uh, exactly. But the the one of the main things that uh, the stupid little nickname that I have there with the number one number one Sabres fan in Alberta, like. Like with most nicknames, I don't really, I didn't come up with that myself. And it was like just a lot of friends and family started calling me that over the years because uh, <laughs> like, I'm not really proud of this record because for a lot of years, like both these teams like really sucked. But since 2006, I've made every Sabres game in Edmonton. Oh, nice. So, well, you know, what? I, be I, proud of your team, man. Like I, I <laughs> watched the Oilers through the decade of darkness and supported them the whole way. Uh, I don't believe in abandoning your team. And uh, yeah. I, I think our reward at the at the end, you know, getting McDavid ultimately was uh, worth it. And I would go through another rebuild all over again like that to get a player of his ilk. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it, it's it was a lot of tough years of watching the Oilers just get pumped night after night. But I mean, uh, to see where the team is now, like I said, all worth it. Uh, although, I, I mean, I, I would prefer not to go through another 10 year rebuild. Uh, and like you said, your team uh, sort of in a, a similar position, like the Oilers were tied with the Florida Panthers for the longest playoff drought in NHL history for a while. The Sabres then, of course, broke that record. Um, but uh, no, I mean, look, have you ever met a, a, a Sabres fan in Alberta that was bigger than you? So, I mean, you might actually <laughs> hold hold the claim to that title. I just, it's funny because I've met like a bunch over the years just from going to the games and stuff. And just a okay. little pr- promotional plug on the side is there's a, there's a Twitter account out there called uh, Displaced Sabres. And what they do is every road game, they actually get gather fans and they take a group picture for as many Sabres fans you can find. And for the last six years now, actually, I've kind of been their Edmonton correspondent. And it's kind of okay. cool just to see, just to see over the years, just the amount of fans just we've grown over the last six years of just Sabre visits, you know, and literally just throw Rogers place. If I just see a Sabres fan, like, hey, meet here at this time and we're just taking a group picture, you know. So it's great to see kind of everybody just grow over the years, you know. And yeah. I just the only reason why I say I'm the quote unquote number one is because I've I've caught the Sabres close to 20 times in my life. And it's only ever been in Edmonton and Calgary. You know, I've made the trip to Calgary about four or five times. But I've only ever caught the Sabres in Alberta. So, but I've I've watched them live nearly 20 times, but not outside the, of this province, though. So, so when they do eventually make the playoffs, <laughs> is a trip to Buffalo in the plans for you to actually get to see your favorite team in their home building? I I would like to, yeah, and I I would say that is part of the plan. Whether I can kind of find the time off work and make it all happen, <laughs> is I'm sure it would story. be tough. I mean. And plus, you know, know, but... playoff tickets as it is, and then you're flying across the continent. Um, but I- I'm sure for someone like you who's cheered for the team for a quarter of a century, to have that opportunity to see your favorite team in their own barn, that would probably just be like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, no, I, w- I would love to. And honestly, I-, I try to keep things realistic. Like I said at the start of this season, I said like on a good year, they'll have around 90 points. And never once that I think they're going to make it this year, but I feel like they've already overachieved and playoffs would have always been a bonus this year. 
you know, because I feel like coming into this year with the youngest team in the league, you got to have your expectations kind of within, you know, a realistic bar, right? So I, I didn't expect playoffs at all. And even still to this date, even after the win tonight, they're, they're five points out with two games in hand, but I still don't think they're going to make it. But next year, Next year, I do feel like they're going to make it. And if it does come, I'm going to try to get out there. I just, you know, my company's pretty nice sometimes. If I give it enough notice, okay. maybe I can get the time off. But you know how it is the playoffs. It's hard to kind of pinpoint dates. Yeah. But that would be that would be like in a historic game because, uh, you know, first playoff game in over a decade. And, yeah, trust me, I would love to make it out there. It's just uh, if I can make it all work. I, I can imagine the, the the I mean, I still have to drive five hours to come see the Oilers anytime I want but the good thing is I don't have to you know book a plane flight or anything it's not like I have the luxury of living in an NHL city where I just have to like uh drive to the game that night there there is you know booking a hotel room like I said the the gas money to drive out there and everything so it it does become a little more expensive to see my team live but uh even next level for you to like I said literally go across North America to, to get to their home building a little bit, yeah. And like I, I mentioned, I got family out there and I, I got a few of my family members. Like, oh, so that helps. You have people you can stay with. Yeah, so, exactly. So at least yeah. hotels off, you know, I can cross the hotel off. I don't have to worry about a hotel, but but I've mapped it out and, you know, I'm either going to fly Edmonton to Hamilton or else Edmonton to Toronto and then kind of drive the rest of the way. But okay. no matter what, it's, it's not going to be cheap. But uh, I feel like just with the circumstances and breaking that playoff drought when they eventually do it next year. It'll be a historic, a historic moment, and I feel like you just—I would have to be there. Just the feeling in the arena and everything yeah. like that, and just the city will probably be buzzing, right? So it's something where I would have to do everything I can to make it there. And I mean, who knows? They could still climb in this year, like you, like you said, they're five points back of the Islanders with two games in hand. So you win those two games, it's a little tighter. As of and, right now, the Sabers with the win tonight, they're on pace for 88 points. So your prediction ahead of the season of 90 isn't too far off. Yeah, and um, they actually they, they play the Islanders one more time as well too. So I feel like they they it's there like the the opportunity they control their own fate, whatever cliche line you want to use. Mm-hmm. But the the chances will be there. But I just feel like they're just they're gonna have a tough schedule, and I just feel like their their inexperience and their youth just might be too much to kind of overcome the rest of the way. You know, but you feel and like trust it was me, a big I, I hope I am wrong. This year. <laughs> yeah. Um. But like you said, they've they've taken a step forward in the right direction this year, though. Yeah, and that's the main thing, because last year they finished with 75 points, and I just feel like you just, you got to have realistic expectations, and like this year they had, uh, what was it, two rookies, forwards in the top six with Jack Quinn and J.J. Paterka, and then Owen Power was his full rookie year, and he's in the top four, Yeah, and then Uka Pekka-Lukinen ended up coming in and being the starter as well as a rookie, so I just feel like you have so many youth, so much youth, so much Almost experience too much youth there. at the same time, yeah. But, you know, they'll have another year of experience under them, and maybe the Sabres will look to bring in a few veterans this offseason. We'll see. Um, so I just I can assume that you're going to pick something from 1999, but I'll ask it anyway. What is your favorite memory of watching the Sabres? See, I'm I'm not going to go 99 because oh. I, I hate to bring this up, but I'm kind, kind of like too young, I guess, to go that route. OK, but but I, I would love to go 2006 again because. Uh, I just I remember 2006 really well because just I I don't know my my favorite about that I just remember watching with a group of friends is uh in round two when they eliminated Ottawa um my my just favorite moment I just remember just being so excited uh Jason Pominville scored a shorthanded overtime goal to eliminate the Senators 
And I know it just it's just whatever. It's a round two series clinching goal in overtime, but just just the way it happened though, just shorthanded, just skating around Daniel Albertson and uh kind of getting the puck in there in overtime for Palmerville. But just just a huge memory, you know. I just I just remember just being just jumping out of my chair and just screaming that like Palmerville scores shorthanded in overtime. Yeah. And so the two thousand six uh two thousand six round two to eliminate Ottawa, I would say. That, that's an interesting one. I I didn't see that coming, but I mean, obviously that was a big playoff run for them too. Uh, I think that the 1999 one stands out to me more because the Oilers weren't still in the playoffs at that time. So I can still picture uh, that Sabres run a little more because they made it to the final. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, the 06 one, like I said, I, I thought the Oilers and Sabres were going to meet uh, for the cup, but uh yeah. <laughs> came up a little bit short but still what a run reaching the the conference final for them and um you and i were roughly the same age at the time so uh pretty cool to get to enjoy something like that as a teenager and just see your team go on this this run that you know f- even though both of our teams came up a little short uh, still a ton of memories all these years later you brought up that one about the clinching game against detroit for edmonton that's one of my favorite oilers games ever uh, the goal that Hemsky scored with just over a minute to go. Uh, you were in the building that night. Uh, I mean, that must have just like almost tore the roof off the place when he put the puck in the net. Yeah, and I do remember that very well just because uh, I was a little too young. I never really got to experience any Gretzky days or any Stanley Cup days. So right. so in 2006, that was, and that was still Rexall place kind of thing, right? So a little smaller, just but that place was just I love that building though you know yeah I, oh so I many memories lucky. there and just the size of the building just really helped for the atmosphere though you know yeah everything was just always just so loud and electric in there and yeah I just remember just I hate to say it but just just the loudest building I personally think I've ever been in for like a sporting event and I know it was only round one but just thinking back then Detroit was the I, I know their first seed but I can't remember if they're even the president's trophy winner at the time too but it was Detroit it was, was the President's Trophy winner in 06, yeah. Yeah, so it was first. And then I think the Sabres team. won it in 07 the next year. Yeah, exactly. But I just remember just the, the just the atmosphere was just incredible in uh, Rexall Place because you had the first place Detroit Red Wings and then the little eighth place Oilers that just barely made it in there, but they made some great deadline moves. And yeah. I just remember just the party was just incredible and just leading out like outside of Rexall, just all the honking horns and all the people screaming and the Let's Go Oilers chants. Like, you know, I was you know, thinking, oh man, maybe I should become an Oilers fan, right? But, <laughs> well, no, you it said it was just... that it was the time when you had to make a decision, and I mean, twenty-nine point difference between the Red Wings and Oilers that year. No one gave them a chance, but the the two things they had going for them, above anything else, above you know Hemsky having a career year, Ryan Smith still being in his prime, Fernando Pisani uh, having the the playoff run of his life. The two most important things were that they had the hottest goalie in the league at the time in Dwayne Rollison. And Chris Pronger was, if not the best, second best defenseman in the NHL. So those two things were just huge factors and the reasons why Edmonton was able to go to the final. Yeah, just uh, Kevin Lowe did a great job with the deadline. He did. That, year. that was a masterclass, um, especially after so many years of the Oilers having to trade away their best players because they couldn't afford them pre-lock or uh, yeah pre-lockout, but also pre-salary cap. And now he had the the financial ability to make these deals and just being on more of a, an even playing field and getting to bring in guys like Spachik and Samsonov 
just you saw well and of course Rolson being the most important like these were the moves that set them up to go on that run yeah no 100% they just they loaded up the, the just a great way with just depth like you said with spot check there and uh you know, Samson was another great pickup and just they just balanced their roster out well. Like, you know, they had the yeah. forward group, they had the defense, they just their depth. Like they seemed like they had no holes, you know. So they, they even though they were an eighth seeded team, they, they were they, they were a superstar team. laden team. Like you look at the Red Wings, there was a lot more skill and talent over there, but uh the the Oilers worked hard for everything and, and like you said, they were they were a team that could roll four lines and had depth. Uh they just they, they might not have had the the 100 point scores that uh, the Red Wings had in the past, but um, I always felt Hemsky was going to get there if he would have stayed healthy too. But just yeah, to see the Oilers overcome all the odds and win that series, just one of my favorite hockey memories ever. Yeah, no, I agree with you all the way. You know, and I, I still have bugged somewhat with their friends because they always say, "Oh, like oh, if Rollison wasn't injured, that cup would have been ours." And it's, hey, I, you know I believe that too. I I, <laughs> I I always come back with some Buffalo stuff though too because they were they were missing they were missing four out of their top six D men and they're missing their second line center. And I'm like, well, what if, wait, wait, if Buffalo was fully healthy, I think we would have stood a great chance against Oilers even with Rollison. But yeah, maybe my Buffalo bias is coming out a little bit. But they're they're missing a lot of chunk of their starters that year too in the playoff run. Yeah, and, and I mean, I would have been fine with that because it would have knocked the Hurricanes out too. So to to see our teams get to go to each other, uh, go up against each other at full health, I mean, that would have been awesome too. Uh, so just to sort of wrap up here on this, you said that you you haven't missed an Oilers or a, a Sabers game in Edmonton for the past was it six? You said uh, since two thousand six. Oh, okay, sorry, since two thousand six. Sorry. So it's um, been like nearly twenty years now. Yeah, it's. And I will admit a lot of times, like I, I was lucky. I had friends that were season ticket holders. Yeah. And when you're like in 2012 or 2013, nobody really wants the Sabres and Oilers matchup. You know what I mean? No, so, so it's an easier ticket to get for you. Yeah. And a lot of times, uh, a few times I had just people just give it to me. They're like, you know what? They're like, I'm not going to be able to sell these. They're like you'd actually get enjoyment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you'd actually enjoy this kind of matchup. So here you go, buddy. So I will admit I was fortunate. I had a, a four different friends with season tickets that just kind of helped me over the years. And, uh, I'm going to keep my nice. streak going for as long as I can now. Cause yeah, like I said, it's been t- uh, since 2006 and I don't, I don't plan on missing a game anytime soon. So anytime the Sabres are in Edmonton, it's kind of like a holiday for me in a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, our, our teams played each other last week and the Oilers were able to sneak out a, a three, two win uh, with, you know, McDavid getting a couple goals and uh, passing Gretzky for the second most uh, game winning goals in Oilers history with 62. Um, but earlier this season, it was the Sabres that got the better of the Oilers. And it was actually the third game of the regular season. And it happened to be, interestingly enough, uh, Edmonton born Eric Comrie in goal for the Sabres and had perhaps his best game in the NHL, stopping 46 out of 48 shots he faced to lead the Sabres to a 4-2 win. Um, I don't know if that one ranks anywhere special for you um, among the best games that you've ever seen, but I'm sure that uh, just seeing the Edmonton kid come home and and uh, and beat the local team must have been uh, pretty satisfying for yourself. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a good matchup. As you mentioned, it was the third game of the year, and it, it just it was cool just to get it out of the way, I guess. And it was the Sabres' first uh, road game of the year as well. And uh, I don't know if this is the first time in history, but it was actually. Uh, um, what's it called? Eric Comrie versus Stuart Skinner. So we had Edmonton versus Edmonton in the crease as well. You know, I so. remember uh, hearing about this too, and um, a bunch of people were looking it up uh, in the 
I think it was the, the most recent time that it happened with two Edmonton-born goalies playing uh, for two teams in Edmonton. It was done, I, I think, the last time in 86 or 87 when it was uh, Grant Fear and Clint Malarchuk who was oh. in goal for the Quebec Nordiques at the time. Okay. So it had it had definitely been the first time in like 35 years, but uh, but yeah, cool to see. And then it happened again later uh, this season when it was uh, Carter Hart versus Stuart Skinner in Edmonton. That is right. Yeah. So twice in the same year. That's actually yeah. pretty cool. With a bat with two Edmonton goaltenders on on either team. Uh, okay, Jeff, I want to now dive into the the current state of the Sabers, and uh, I, I think we should start by talking about. Uh, Tage Thompson here, who's obviously having um, a season for the ages for him, uh, just exceeded all expectations so far. So uh, when the Sabres acquired Thompson in the Ryan O'Reilly trade with the St. Louis Blues in the summer of 2018, I don't know if you had any grand expectations for him at the time. And then he only scored 15 goals in his first three years with the team before breaking out with 38 goals last year. And this year, he's continued his uh, remarkable rise with a career-high 42 goals in just 66 games. Uh, Jeff, when did you start to believe that Thompson had superstar potential? Yeah, when the, when the trade first went down, it was they got four, uh, four players in return. There was Vladimir Sabotka, Patrick Berglund, Tage Thompson, and then a first-round pick, which turned into defenseman Ryan Johnson. So the way I looked at it is you're, trading away Ryan O'Reilly for two players for the now, which are pretty much just stop gaps, but then two players for the future and Tage Thompson and Ryan Johnson. And with Tage Thompson, I'll, I'll admit, like when we first got him, all they kept preaching is patience. You know, this guy's for the future. He's a former late first round pick, you know, like let's give him some time. Let's be patient, you know, and a few years went by and things just didn't really seem to spark or anything just wasn't really happening there. As you mentioned, like the 14, 15 goals or whatever it was, wasn't, right wasn't off too great a yeah. start. But I think what the turning point was, and say, uh, I hate to drop his name because a lot of Oilers fans kind of have good memories of him. But uh, when the Sabres had Ralph Kruger coaching the team there, he, and it sucks too, because I know I'm going a little off topic here, but when Kruger was coaching at Edmonton, I was kind of a supporter of his. I was like, you know, this guy seems like he's got a good, a good hold of the room. The players love him. Guys like Taylor Hall kept saying like, oh, Ralph's a great coach. Like we love Ralph. So when the Sabres hired Ralph Kruger, I was like, yeah, you know, like he, he was good as an assistant at Edmonton. He was good as a head for that half year he did. And, yeah. you know, let's see what Kruger has. But I'm not going to lie. Kruger kind of just, uh, I don't know how to say it politely, but Kruger kind of shit the bed there in Buffalo. <laughs> and just a lot of the decisions he was making, I was like, I try to give him the benefit of the doubt. because I'm like, you know what? Uh, he's the NHL coach. I'm just some fan here, you know, and I don't got the resume best, right? he does. Yeah, <laughs> but just so many decisions. I was like, Kruger, what are you? What's going on here, buddy? Like, what are you doing here, Ralph? Right. So, I feel like ever since they kind of made the coaching change and they they fired Ralph Kruger and they brought in Coach Don Granado, that's just been a huge spark um, for a lot of players. Not only Tage, but um, Tage was playing the wing, and when Don Granado came in, Don moved into center, and you know, I think that's around the time where Tage just started turning things around. I don't know if just moving him to center, just open up the ice or he just saw things a little differently there. But ever since the coaching change, um, when they brought in Don Granado, that just seems to be the turning point for Tage Thompson, you know, Granado and Thompson had a past as well. And I, I just think that just a brand new coach, a brand new voice, maybe the new system as well. Cause Kruger had a very just boring and questionable system that sometimes you don't understand what they're doing. Like you got these high, 
flying players like Rasmus Dahlin and you're trying to tone them down a bit, right? So Kruger had a boring just style that I didn't understand at times. So so it's great to see Tage come and break it out the way he did he has. And I'll admit I I never saw it coming. You know, I kept saying like, you know what, this guy's for the future. You know, maybe he'll get like 60 points, 75 points in a good year, but he's he's exceeding that already and he's just continuing to grow. You know, and they uh they signed him to that extension last summer as well. Right. Um, for seven point uh, seven point one four million, that doesn't even kick in until next year, and I feel like that's that's looking like a pretty good steal of a deal already. Oh, without a doubt. And I was going to ask you, it's looking like a steal of a deal now, but going back to last August when he signed that deal, he was coming off a a sixty eight point season, now thirty eight goals, however, but still, after just having one strong season in the league. Were, were you concerned at all at the time about investing that much money in, into a player uh, who didn't have like a proven track record? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I'll say I was concerned because uh, I, I remember kind of just thinking it was a little um, premature of them and just kind of, like you said, it was just kind of just one season, you know, and it was something where like, I will admit, I was thinking, okay, let's, let's see what he can do. Let's see if he can do it again. Right. And, you know, this is where I'm glad I wasn't the GM because if I was, if I was playing the GM role and I would have said, okay, Tage, let's see what you got. Who knows what his contract would have been like if they didn't sign him when they did, right? Like if they, if they signed him like in the middle of the season or if they waited to this coming off season to finally extend him, they would have been paying a lot more. So I definitely thought like, whoa, guys, like maybe this is a little premature. Like, let's see if he can replay this in his second year. You know, let's see if he can duplicate that kind of production. And well, he has, and he's even going further than what he did last year. So so GM Kevin Adams made a great, uh, great gamble by signing him the way he did. And, uh, you know, it's one of those situations where I'm glad I was wrong, I guess. You know, I thought <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, what are you guys doing? You know, it's a little soon for that or let's see what he can do in the second year. But it's it's definitely paying off. Yeah. And I, I mean, when when you watch Tage Thompson to see a player who's six foot six and have the hands that he does, like even in the game against Edmonton third game of the season he scored a beautiful goal which you know I, I wasn't very happy about as, a, okay. as an Oilers fan but to take the puck from I think he picked it up somewhere around the red line skated all the way in made a nice move and just used his long reach to outweigh the defender and the goaltender and tuck it in on the backhand it just it, it was a it, it's probably going to be his highlight real goal of the year or one of them I I haven't watched you know every goal or, or I don't follow the Sabres as closely as you do so you're going to have a, a better memory of, of some of the big goals he scored, but that's got to be one of the best ones. And I think that's when he sort of put people on notice that the, the 38 goal performance he had last year wasn't a fluke and he was going to come back out with another strong season this year. Yeah, no, I do recall the goal you're talking about. He's had another one. I think it was against Tampa Bay this year, but it's he's had a few of those where you can kind of say they're they're really just wow, like highlight real candidate type type of goals. And like you said, how does a guy his size do that type of thing? You know, and just just spark it out of nowhere, right? So, and this is leading down another topic, but it feels like he just he's he's found chemistry with Jeff Skinner and Alex Tuck. And it's just, you you can't split them up now. You know what I mean? And those three yeah. together have all got career high in points now. Like Jeff Skinner just recently you know, he's been in the league for like 10 years now and Jeff Skinner finally just hit a career high in points this year, you know, playing with uh, Tage Thompson there. So it's great to see the chemistry they have. And uh, as much as Skinner, I'll be the first one to admit he is definitely overpaid at the $9 million. But, you know, every team's got a few players you can say they're overpaid at this point, right? So yeah, Skinner's I mean, definitely pl- 
playing the way he should be this year. And I feel like Skinner and Thompson and even Alex talked, that's their top line pretty much been their top line all of last year, all of this year. And, you know, they're all, they're all locked down now and hopefully they can continue to continue to build that chemistry for the future too. For sure. And that looked like a contract that could hamper them in the future when he signed that uh, 8 million or that nine year or sorry, eight year, $9 million per extension. And, um, I think the thing that was concerning people is, yeah, he did score a career-high 40 goals, so he was going to get big money somewhere. Buffalo wanted to keep him. But then he followed up the next two seasons with 14 goals and seven goals, respectively. I'm sure after he had seven goals in 2020-21 at $9 million, you were more than concerned, I would say, about uh, you know how that contract was going to age. But then he bounced back with a 33-goal season last year and now has 29 goals in 63 games. Uh, what do you attribute uh, his rejuvena- uh, rejuvenation to and, and getting back to the level that he was at earlier in his career when he was a multi-time 30-goal scorer? See, I, I hate to bring his name up again, but I have to say Ralph Kruger. <laughs> Ralph Kruger again. Stifled the stifled the offense. A little a little bit, only because um when, when Skinner got that forty goal season, it was with Phil Housley and um Jack Eichel and things like that. And kind of playing top line minutes, always get the opportunity with Jack Eichel and playing on the top line. And then when Ralph Kruger gets in there, um the only thing I could think of is he just wants to spread the talent out, but but uh, Ralph Kruger refused to put Jeff Skinner and Jack Eichel together just after they finished getting 40 goals and everything like that. Um, Ralph Kruger wanted to split them up, which, once again, I, the only thing I can think of is maybe you just want to split, spread out your talent, I guess. Sure. But yeah. just the Ralph Kruger, Jeff Skinner, um, it was just bad. I don't know how else to describe it, but it was um, I don't know if you recall it, but there were some times where Jeff Skinner got sent down to the fourth line and Jeff Skinner was even healthy scratched a few times under Ralph Kruger. Now, I don't know if you blame that on the coach or blame it on the player, but it's going to be one of those cliche things. There's a little bit of both, but I feel like Skinner wasn't really getting the opportunity. Like if you're a $9 million player getting 40 goals, I don't know why you're putting him on the fourth line or, you know, healthy scratch, or he was on the taxi squad a little bit during the COVID area. So uh, I feel like just, Ralph Kruger and just the way he was deploying Jeff Skinner, just it just was never working out. You know, like it's and then you know, a lot of it's on the players to make too. A switch, right? If if the coach isn't clicking with the group, I mean, some players can overcome it. If you're if you're one of the true superstars in the league, I, I think it, it doesn't matter who you have behind the bench, you'll you'll figure out a way to do it. But um, if a coach really wants to implement a different style than is set up for the the players that he has in his lineup. It, you're going to see uh, players underachieving. Like I think with John Tortorella, when he came to Vancouver and tried to turn everyone into checkers and it just, it didn't mesh well with the Sedins and, and everyone. And that's why he only lasted one year there. Right. And uh, I did like Ralph when he was in Edmonton. I thought that he was a, a forward thinking coach and was a, a good player or a good, a good coach for, for that group at the time. I, I don't, you know, looking back now, I try not to get, frustrated about anything that happened before the McDavid draft because everything's water under the bridge because every decision they made before McDavid good or bad led to them getting McDavid so I've let all of that go now but um, I I can see what you're saying where maybe the the resume looked good for uh, Kruger you know coming from even working with an, an English soccer club and and just you know being such a 
like I said, forward thinking kind of innovative coach, but it just, it sounds like from the, from what you've described, the players that, that he was uh, trying to build up. And these are young guys at the time, like Darlene and Skinner was a bit older, but Thompson and these guys, it just, it, it wasn't the right fit for them. Yeah. And no, that's a good way to put it. And like, uh, you can see three players, for example, and Thompson, Skinner, and Darlene, ever since Kruger's left, they've all just exploded in three different ways, you know, and Darlene's another example where when Kruger was around, he was trying to get Rasmus to play more of just of a defensive style, which I understand he is a defenseman and everything, but but as we've watched from Darlene this well, year, last year, he saw the highlight reel goals when he was still in Sweden, and I mean, that's, yeah. what, that's what made you excited about this prospect, is when you would see him, and, and um, Every year, there's the there's the number one prospect, and the in 2017-18, leading up to the, that draft, you you would just see this this like big strong defenseman who could skate and take the puck and, and make these beautiful plays. I, I think that uh, as a Sabres fan, you were excited to get that guy, and then maybe some of that creativity kind of disappeared for a while uh, under Kruger. Yeah, no, definitely a little bit. And uh, some people like to compare like Darlene to like a Makar or somebody. And, you know, uh, it's tough to compare because I feel like when Rasmus Darlene came into the team, he, yeah. he came into a pretty lackluster support staff. And besides Jack Eichel, they didn't really have much happening. You know, no, I didn't have the supporting cast that uh, Makar has in Colorado. Yeah, that's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. So Darlene had a first few years of growing pains, I feel like, and the Sabres didn't really have a good installation support staff around him. So so no. it took some time, but I feel like the last few years as Darlene's been growing and maturing a little more, and they've also been building around him better. Uh, better. I feel like he's finally coming into his own, you know? So it's it's great to see the type of player Darlene has been this year, and I feel like he's only 22 years old, and how much is it going to increase in the future, right? So he's going to just continue to grow from here. Yeah, I mean, that sort of leads me what I wanted to talk to you about next is uh, looking at this team, uh, the Sabres are set up well for the future. And I think a big reason for that is your two former first overall picks on the blue line in Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power. Uh, just how much more optimistic are you about Buffalo's chances going forward because they have those two foundational pieces on defense? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very optimistic, honestly. And I'll admit there, there's another situation where I like to admit where I was wrong, you know, and I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. But during the Owen Power draft, I was actually hoping that they were going to draft Matty Beniers from okay. Seattle there. Just because I feel like they already had Darlene. And at the time and place, I wasn't kind of sure what kind of centers Tage Thompson and even Dylan Cousins were going to be. Right. So I wanted to kind of then solidify that center and kind of get Matty if we could out of Michigan. But, you know, they once again made a great pick by getting Owen Power. And I it's just once again Adams looks like he knows what he's doing with his drafting uh drafting team and his scouting staff and you know I I'm a firm believer in defense you know you're not going to really win championships or go far without a defense you know and sorry to pick on your Oilers but I feel like that's what the Oilers have been lacking the last oh, few years I mean is, it it was a problem for many years I I I look at okay uh, when Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane were picked first and third overall in 2006 and 2007, they joined a team that had Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook already. Yes. And that set the Blackhawks up for early success. And of course, they won three Stanley Cups and they won one very early in uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tape's careers. For McDavid coming in, 
like they had Hall, they had Everly, they had Nugent Hopkins, they even had still Yakov at the time. It wasn't in the same class as those guys, but still a first overall pick. Anyway, so there were there was young talent there uh, that McDavid was joining the fold with, but on the blue line they didn't have that Keith and Seabrook who were already in place. And it took years to like build that up and, you know, get cleft bomb to the level that he was at before all his injuries. And then now, you know, bringing in a guy like Ekholm to insulate the blue line. But I, I look at, uh, I look at some of those teams in the past and think, man, that would have been awesome if the Oilers could have had something like that for McDavid when he arrived in the NHL and for your Sabres. Now that there's this young group of players and they have a, a 22 year old and 20 year old defensemen on the left side who are considered to be, you know, future all-star level defensemen or better. I, I think that that's got to be a pretty exciting thing for you. Yeah, no, it's extremely exciting. And uh, like, I feel like defense is sometimes underrated or underappreciated and um, having those two type of cornerstones are just the type of building blocks you need, you know, like the Oilers, for example, you guys got your Connor and Leon and you're building from the center group or the forwards if you want and Buffalo, they're going to take a different approach and they're going to build from the blue line. And I feel like it's still going to work out because um, I don't mean to kind of toot his own horn too much, but I feel like GM Kevin Adams has done a great job just, uh, signing his youngsters long-term and just kind of locking everybody down, you know, because Darlene isn't locked down yet, but um, Matias Samuelson, who I want to bring up Matias Samuelson a bit because he's a straight up big, giant defensive defenseman. But I feel like that sometimes gets overlooked because he doesn't put up the flashy plays or doesn't put up the points. But for a good, like 90% of the season, the top pair has been Samuelson and Darlene. And I feel like they complement each other amazingly because Darlene's all offense and all just high flying power. But then Samuelson's a stay-at-home type and kind of helps balance uh, Darlene and keep him, keep things balanced on that pair there. And yeah. then uh, Owen Power as well. Like you said, he's only 20 years old, and he's been playing top four minutes all year. And it's very rare to see a top four top four defenseman at 20 years old kind of do that type of thing. So so they're hopefully going to be kind of like our Niedermeyer pronger types for the future. And the way the forwards are all kind of falling into place, I feel like they got a good, well-balanced group for the future. The, the the two things I feel like they got to worry about is their their defensive depth because after Darlene Power and Samuelson I feel like it's kind of a big drop after that and then their goaltending you know they got uh, Uko Pekka Lukanen right now as a, as a rookie but you know what his ceiling looks like or what if what he looks like as a full fledged starter next year or the beyond right. is, you know you never know you never know with goalies of course so just to wrap up on the Sabers now. Um, you said that, you know, because of the, the tough schedule ahead and the, the lack of experience on this team, uh, you don't think that they're going to sneak in this year, but you're calling it next year for a playoff spot. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I hate to call things like that, but it is, I, I feel like, you know, they, they overachieved this year and they're just, they're on the right path. And I feel like, but then to get close and fall short, I feel like it almost be a good thing because a young group like that they're going to be hungry because they're going to say, Hey, look what we did this year when nobody thought we could do kind of thing. Right. So I feel like this young group is just going to be extremely hungry. And Adams, I feel like with the cap space they have, because they have a tremendous amount of cap space coming into this off season, hopefully they can add some more pieces to the blue line or even just some, add some more forward depth. And, you know, you look at the, the East and the way things are looking in the Atlantic, we got teams like Tampa and, and Toronto. I feel like they're, their days are kind of numbered in a way, you know, like they're doing good right now, but their window is closing. So I feel like well, see, that's what like I wanted up. to ask you next. Is that there, <laughs> there are, there are so many uh, 
um, elite teams in your division. Like obviously the Boston Bruins are having, uh, you know, a historically good year. Uh, Toronto, it, it's hard to know what's going to happen in the future there. Like they do have Matthews uh, contract coming up in a year uh, if he'll stay there or not. But I mean, there, there is still a, a very, a very strong core, although they, they do have some older players like Tavares and, um, they they have some expensive guys too like Marner and and uh and Nylander. so it's it's hard to say how that's all going to work out in the future but uh you know as of right now i i still don't see them dropping off uh, anytime soon and uh as for the the Tampa Bay Lightning i mean three straight trips to the Stanley Cup final they won the first two times they made it there um by by any means an elite team even if they have taken a little step back i think come playoff time that could be a team that's still ready to roll and and has that experience of of going to the dance so many times. So when you look at those teams ahead of you, um, I, I don't know if you're predicting a playoff series win next year, but just sneaking in, it's going to be tough even to those three spots. So are you thinking like a wild card spot if the Sabres get in? Yeah, and like we're looking ahead to next season, right? Yeah, And I think for next year, um, it'll be a wild card position because as we're talking, the Atlantic is still pretty strong. You know, teams like Boston, Toronto and Tampa, they they are aging and they are their their windows closing. But, but I they're don't not going to fall apart yeah, next year. Right. Yeah. Like it's not it's not closing or not falling apart that soon. You know what I mean? So. So I agree with you. I feel like it's a little too soon for next year. And if and when Buffalo does sneak in, I think it will be a wild card spot. You know, you have teams like Pittsburgh who are just barely hanging on by thread, it seems like. And I think Pittsburgh's another one where, as much as they're in the Metro, well, we'll be seeing them and battling for a wildcard spot. Yeah. And I think next year, because Pittsburgh got some, they got some aging players as well. Uh, Tristan Jari's an upcoming free agent. I don't know if he's going to leave or not, but but they got to figure out what to do with their, just their whole organization. So I feel like Pittsburgh's a team where their their window's closing on them, and they could probably fall out of oh. a wildcard spot next year. So I mean, they still have Crosby and Malkin, but, you know, they're, getting into their their mid to late 30s now and i i mean who knows if they get into the playoffs they could always go on a run but it just seems like for that core they've taken it as far as they've gone they've they've played a lot of of playoff hockey over the years and i i don't know if i see another deep run uh for crosby in his career um anything could happen right but just uh like right now like you said they're just barely holding on to a playoff position so who knows if they'll you know, even get in next year, but yeah. uh, there should be an opportunity for the Sabres. Like just looking at the the standings, I, I'm not super confident in the Islanders at all. Florida took a huge step back this year. And uh, aside from that, Washington's on the decline. Ottawa's coming up. It, do you almost feel like out of all the teams that are sort of either, you know, in the mix or on the rise that Ottawa might be one that's, going to be uh contending with the sabers a little bit here yeah you know looking at those ottawa would be the one i would worry about you know they got they got the young team and they got a mixture with uh, some older players like Giroux as well claude Giroux. and you know as much as a lot of other fans were uh given their uh their thoughts on jacob chikrin you know i feel like it was still a great addition for ottawa the they needed him you know their blue line their defense were kind of you know not up to par with the rest of their group you know so i feel like adding chikrin does help for sure. And I just, before we call it a night, I want to get some uh, Oilers uh, opinions from you as well. I won't even, I won't say like fan opinions, but just, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, thoughts on the team uh, as a as an outsider, but technically still an insider living in in the city of Edmonton. So um, just looking at where they're at this year, you know, they're they're currently in a wild card spot, but the Pacific is so tight that they could still claw their way into a, a top three spot. And really, there isn't one team that scares me in the Pacific for the Oilers. I think they could beat Vegas. I think they could beat LA. I'm even more confident they could beat. Seattle. So coming out of the Pacific, it, it doesn't seem like a, that big of a stretch, especially when McDavid and Dreisaitl hit playoff mode. The season that McDavid's had overall, I mean, pushing for 150 points here and potentially 70 goals, you know, he's going to win probably four different individual awards this year. Dreisaitl, another uh, potential 50 goal, 100 point season. And just all the other guys who are having career years, Hyman, Nuge, just Give me some general thoughts on what you've seen from the Oilers this year. Yeah, no, I, I, I love, uh, I love picking on the Oilers because just as, <laughs> as you know, just they're very, uh, well, very you got to bug your dad and, and brother, right? <laughs> well, that's for sure. Yeah. That's what I've been doing since I was a kid and all that, but like yeah. usually the Oilers are usually been a better team, but like, I just, I don't know. I, I love picking on just a lot of my friends and family too. Like, you know, I play hockey as well, and just like everybody in the dressing room are Oilers fans, right? So, so I, I try to be, you know, fair the with them. But, <laughs> sorry, the antagonist kind of giving them in the some ways, all the time. yes. But also, like sometimes I feel like I have to stop that in ways because sometimes people take me too seriously. So, uh, so yeah. if I gotta if I gotta speak honestly with it, I, yeah. I've always said for the past few years, like I'm not a big Ken Holland fan. Mm-hmm. Now, my main reason is it's just I, I feel like he's just a little on the overrated side, and a lot of the praise he gets, I feel like they're just I don't know. He's not he's not the savior. I feel like he's just kind of piggybacking off other people in some ways, like Connor and Leon hitting other levels. And the main two big just acquisitions that I have issues with, I guess, is I never liked the Philip Roberg draft, and I always just thought he's not a top top ten pick. And when you're drafting the top ten. You got to take advantage of those picks. You know, that's that's their last top 10 pick they're going to have for probably a long while. And as much as I'm not, I'll admit and I can see that Broberg, he's having a good year. He's emerging like, now. Like it took a, it took a few years and defensemen to do take longer. Yes. And of course, that was his first draft pick with the organization. So he's going to be you know judged on that one way or the other early on. But I, you know, would Trevor Zegers have been an option? Would Cole Caulfield have been an option? I think so. But now when you look at if if he does reach his potential and he's still only 21, that could be an important piece for the Oilers on the blue line down the road. Yeah, and I agree 100 percent. And um, this the and I hate to bring the McDavid card up, but when you're in year eight with McDavid, I feel like sometimes you'd expect a little things to be a little more sped up, you know, and I'll give Holland a little bit of leeway because I feel like he did walk into some, you know, every GM will walk into a mess and Holland walked into a mess and, you know, it's going to take some time for the previous GM's mess to kind of get off, get out of the way kind of thing, right? It will. And, you know, the Oilers did finish second in their division for three straight years before this one. Um, So the Oilers have consistently been pushing for a division title. They're a little bit lower in the standings this year. And maybe part of that's attributed to the injuries that they've had. Like they, They've had some some key pieces out for uh, big pe- uh, big chunks of the season, you know, mo- most uh, namely of Evander Kane, who's missed over half the season right now. But um, to your point, like I see what you're saying, like you would like to see the Oilers as like a, a top 
top three, top five team at the league by by this stage. I, so I, I can see your point there. Yeah, and I, I keep going on about Holland. There's the only one other thing I want to pick on is I was never a fan of the, the Jack Campbell signing just because I feel like he's mostly been a career backup and he's only had one season where he had like starting uh, a starting goalie type of load, right? So I feel like they... I don't know. I don't like that signing only because you're you're kind of um, you had Stuart Skinner right there, and as much as people think he was unproven, I'll agree he was unproven. But to bring in Campbell for five years, I feel like really kind of screws things up with Skinner and screws things up just for how do you Good. spread out the rest of your the rest of your cap space, right? I think for me, uh, the Oilers couldn't bank on Skinner being ready with just 14 games of NHL experience coming into this year, and. They they had to try and solidify the goaltending position. If Skinner st- steals the job, then fine. I I think a lot of Oilers fans expected that he would eventually, but probably not this soon. Uh, Skinner did, ha- or Campbell, sorry, did have that one really strong stretch in January. But other than that, uh, it's been a, a pretty down year for him. And uh, let's hope that he can bounce back with a stronger second year in Edmonton. But as of right now, yeah, it's, it's, it, there's not been a, a lot to write home about for, for Jack Campbell. Um, I, I still think that he could rebound, but like I said, it's he needs to take his game up to a, a big a big step next year, multiple steps even, because uh, as of right now, Skinner is the number one goalie. And I think the fact that the, between the two of them, they're only going to make uh, $7.6 million next year. Like, that's reasonable for two goalies, especially you know, if they can trade off and be a tandem, although it, it does seem like Skinner is probably going to play more often than, than Skinner will. So anyway, that that's just my thoughts on the goaltending position. But I see what you're saying about Campbell. I think the Oilers were also in kind of a tough spot because it wasn't that deep of a goaltending uh, free agent class. Their options were basically Darcy Kemper and Jack Campbell. And with, with Washington sweep uh, swooping up uh, Kemper, it kind of, forced the Oilers' hand and said, well, if we're going to get a goalie, this is going to be the guy. See, this is where I think we might get into a little bit of a debate, sorry. But <laughs> no, it's okay. I feel like they had other options. Show. I feel like just they had other options besides Kemper, just because I, I forget offhand, but there was a, a good, what, four or five maybe RFA goalies that switched teams, like uh, Vitek Vanasek or Alex mm-hmm. uh, Georgiev or... Oh, I forget the others off. Or they, they could have traded for Huso, who went to Detroit. That was the other one that I was really considering last yeah. summer, and I thought could be an option for them. I, I just know, feel like I, there was a lot more options than just Kemper. Like there was an RFA, or there was even Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill got traded out of San Jose, but like I wasn't ready to big Skinner the starter right away. It just yeah. I just felt like we needed some, you guys needed somebody who didn't have the five year term, like one to two year term, because just the one to two years is probably what Skinner would have needed, right? Yeah. So as much and, as and I mean, if I the salary say, sorry, cap goes, sorry, no, you go ahead. I was going to say you, you do have a point that the seven and a half million that they'll be combined next year, it's not bad, of course. Relatively looking around the league, that's that's a pretty good, um, it's a pretty good price to have tied up into your top two goalies. But I just I just keep wondering, like, if they had somebody at half the price as Campbell, that's another two and a half million you have to get another defenseman or I, get another I right winger. That. And let's hope that the salary cap does go up three million this summer. I remember in the fall it was being uh, mentioned. I think it was Elliot Friedman who put out a report that the cap could jump as much as three or four million in the summer of 2023. So that would be a huge asset for not only the Oilers but for every team around the league to have that extra spending space. Um, I'm sure your Sabers would be able to use that room too. But 
yeah, let's Campbell needs to play better, like plain and simple. He has to be better. And if he's going to make it a tandem with uh, Skinner or try to reclaim the starter's position, then we have to see him come into camp next year um, ready to go and, and being able to not have a leaky goal every game. And the things that he's gone through this year, like, you know, the uh, feeling so down on himself after every goal that he, bad goal he allows and just kind of mentally shaking him and just changing equipment. I, I think seeing maybe a sports psychologist and just kind of like, getting his, you know, his head right before the season would be a good thing for him too. Cause he seems like such a great guy and he's talked about as being one of the nicest guys in the NHL. So you hate to see him like have his confidence shaking every time he lets one in. Yeah, no, that's all, that's all true stuff. I just, I'm just getting more worked up under the contract part because I felt like his I term and all that stuff like that. So, you know, everything speaking personally, the guy, he, he does seem like a great guy, great locker room person. So yeah. if I can, I feel like I've been picking on Holland a little too much. If I could bring out a positive, because I do want to mix it up with some positivity mm-hmm. bit, is I I truly just, I don't know, I, I will give him all the praise in the world for the Ekholm uh, trade, because that's the type of player that they needed. You know, I feel like all yeah. year long when I was picking on the Oilers, even before the season started or during the season, I kept saying to everybody, like, their blue line core is going to be the death of them. Like, that's going to be their, you know, it's going to bring them down come playoff time. Like, their blue line core is their biggest weakness. Like, I know Campbell's been kind of hit or miss, but I feel like if they fix their defense, that can kind of almost fix Jack in the process, right? So, Well, I when- wanted to bring in another defenseman, but while not losing Tyson Berry, because he was such a vital part of the, one of, if not the best power play in NHL history. and you know the one the one benefit is that it's now opened the door for Evan Bouchard to step into that position and that's what he was drafted to do so you have this 23 year old kid with you know a very high offensive ceiling and he's getting the looks now and his game has taken off since the trade and i don't think that just has to do with having more opportunity to play with Tyson Berry going to Nashville but i think it also has to do with his D partner and and Matthias Ekholm being a mentor for him similar to how Duncan Keith was in his rookie year. So uh, that has been a, a, a Matthias Ekholm, like I said, is, ha- is having an impact on the team, not only with his play on the ice, but the, the effect that he's had on Bouchard. Yeah. And I'll agree a thousand percent there. Like as much as I give Holland flack, I'll praise them till the end of the day about this Ekholm pickup because yeah. it's, it's just, I feel like that's the type of player they needed. Like I know losing Barry is a tough pill to swallow, but don't take this the wrong way. I feel like they have power play weapons and they already have offensive weapons. And at the same time too, with Bouchard coming into his contract year and being around a few years now, I feel like, don't you want to challenge your young defenseman, you know, like in a situation, don't you kind of want to give him the rope and be like, here, here's your opportunity. Well, let's challenge yeah. you. In a contract there were year. fans who got. thought that, I agree. And there were fans who thought that Barry was blocking his path from the start. You know, looking back in hindsight now, I'm glad that Barry was there for that transitional period of sort of as like the stopgap until Bouchard was ready, because for three years in a row, he was a big part of this team offensively, you know, was on track for another 50 point season this or this year, which would have been, I think the third of his career, third or fourth and the first by an oiler since, uh, Sheldon Surrey in 2008-2009 I'm hoping Bouchard is going to get there next year because after that 43 point rookie season he had with very little power play time that gave me a lot of hope that this guy is going to you know be a, a 60 point defenseman in the NHL so now that he's getting the chance to play with this power play it's just a matter of time I think before he breaks out 
Yeah, no, 100%. And um, I'm curious, this is a whole other topic, but I wonder what his contract's going to look like, too, this coming I summer. I think they might bridge him, but, like, they can't yeah. bridge him multiple times. Like, if they if they could get a two-year deal for around $3 million, I think that's probably pretty good, because right now he's making under a million dollars on his entry level. And mm-hmm. um, now I'm sure his agent will be pushing for uh, a, a bigger deal, and the Oilers can sort of counter with, well, it's like, yeah, he's, he's playing better, but he's also a part of... Uh, a historically strong power play and that's going to boost the numbers a little bit too. So we'll see where it comes out. I think the bridge deal is the, probably the way they go now and then hopefully look to sign them long-term after that. But uh, just, just to finish up tonight, Jeff, I, we'll just go like, um, I want to get a thought from you on McDavid. Obviously I'm guessing that there might still be um, a little bit of disappointment there that uh, he didn't land with the Sabres in 2015. <laughs> But uh, just a thought from what you've seen from him this year. I mean, he's been the best player in the world for six or seven years now. But to actually be on a level where he's competing with, you know, all-time great seasons and uh, on this pace where he might hit 150 points, which we haven't seen in in almost 30 years. I want to get a thought from you on, on McDavid specifically this year, taking his game to even a new level and just uh, where you, how far you think the Oilers will actually go. Yeah, you know, um, 2015. That was that was a fun year, right? <laughs> Buffalo was last place. I'll never forget that. And but uh, it's one of those situations where I'll never forget where and what I was doing when I found out. Like I remember I was in Lethbridge, Alberta, with a bunch of other friends, and and I wasn't gonna get too cocky because I was like, you know, just because they're last place, just because they have the most the best odds, doesn't mean Buffalo's gonna win, right? But of all teams, McDavid went to Edmonton, right? So, um. I will admit for like the first few years, I was a little bitter because I was like, you know, he should be in a Sabres jersey, right? But every time you know, win a scoring title or hit a hundred points, it, <laughs> it was a hard yeah, you know, ball. Yeah. But all, all time heals wounds kind of thing. Right. And he's in his eighth yeah. year now. And, you know, so I don't feel the same way as I did like four or five years ago. Right. And now it's just kind of like the way I look at it as well. I'm 35 years old and, I don't really have much memory of Gretzky in, in his heyday, in his prime, but yeah. I, I'm privileged enough that I can see McDavid's pretty much his entire career unfold. And whether I'm an Oilers fan or not, I'm a, just a giant hockey fan. You know, I'll watch hockey uh, no matter the matchup, you know, and just to see Connor McDavid in Edmonton and kind of have a front row seat to kind of the type of magic he's displaying this year, especially. It's just, it's just a privilege as a hockey fan to be able to just watch this, you know, just marvel at this type of ability because, you know, he's the type of player, and I'm sure you can agree, is that just when you think he's not going to, you know, when you think you've seen it all, he'll pull something out like, holy crap, I guess we haven't seen it all yet, you know. And well, just look at the playoffs he, last year. I yeah. Mean, averaging over two points a game in the playoffs, and you thought, this is as good as it gets. And then he comes out this season, and he's taken it to even another level where he's going to very likely become, he's not currently on pace for the first player since Mario Lemieux in 1995-96 to hit 150 points and he could become the first player since Timo Solani and Alexander McGillney in 1992-93 to score 70 goals. I mean, these are things that a lot of people never thought they'd see again. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of just, it's kind of, you know, something rare these days, right? And we should just really, as an Oiler fan, I hate to say it, but sometimes I feel like Oiler fans, like they see it too much, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I just shouldn't say Well, you become much, accustomed but, to it. Like, Yeah, that's uh, a great way to put it, yeah. You've, you, you just his great you get used to his greatness like if you were to see 
another player around the league score one of the highlight real goals he does. You might take a step back and say, wow, that was that was an incredible goal. But with McDavid, you just almost come to expect it. You, you see his highlight and like, oh, yeah, that's a McDavid goal. And it's gotten to the point where uh, it almost seems like if he has less than three points in a game, it's almost like he had an off night. Like, oh, he what did he have tonight? <laughs> yeah, like what's a, wrong with him? <laughs> he had a goal. He had a goal and assist. You know, as a two point game. It's like, oh, that was kind of a kind of a slow night for him. You know, hopefully he'll pick it up next game, right? So it's just he's he's taken the bar so high. And look, I, I don't. I'm sure there's going to be another player like him that will come around down the road. But I just I don't know if I see in the next however many years a player dominating to this level who isn't just the best player in the league but is literally lapping the field and this so far ahead of his competition yeah you know we got another Connor coming in the league next year which I think he'll be he'll be like up there he'll be a franchise player but I still don't think it'll be like McDavid level you know the type of level and the status that McDavid's on. Like, I don't think we'll see it for a long, long while, you no. know? So just like I said, this is something that I've been saying this for a few years now where it shouldn't really, like if you're a Flames fan, fine, it might be a different story, but like it shouldn't matter what team you're a fan of, like seeing McDavid play and watching him pull off the type of, just type of magic that he does. It's just, it's incredible, you know? And yeah. so it's just, like I said, as a hockey fan, as a whole, like even when he scores against, uh, even when McDavid scores against Buffalo, like he just did last week, mm-hmm. it's something like, man, that guy, you know what I mean? Like, oh, McDavid, yeah. right? And- no, I, I totally understand that. And uh, just looking, if you have to put your, if you had to bet on it, how far do the Oilers go in the playoffs this year? Ooh. See, that's, I, I hate to sound like I'm pumping his tires too much, but I truly yeah. feel like Matthias Ackholm was going to make a big difference. You know, he's been to the finals before with Nashville, and he's a type yeah. of veteran presence that they, I feel like the defensive defenseman that they've been kind of lacking. You know, as, as for how far they go, the West is so wide open. I feel like the first round, it could be a tough matchup, but at the same time, the first round, it's, it's going to be a close matchup no matter who they face. You know, even, even if they end up being the second wild card for some reason or a wild card team, they're going to have a close matchup no matter what. Oh, I. It's tough. I, I want to say that I think they're going to make it to the third round again. Okay. But, uh, you know, even that, I, I, don't, I don't see it surprising if they go to the finals. You know, I don't think they're going to win at all. But I think the Oilers are definitely going to go to the final four of the finals. You know, I, I just feel like they're more well-rounded. They're more balanced, you know, with the addition of Alcom. And, yeah, just Connor just producing the way he is. He's just on another level, you know. So I feel like just with Connor scoring the rate he is and just with uh, – the addition of Matias Alcohol there, I, I just I think they're really going to go far this year. Well, Jeff, I know you say you like to antagonize Oilers fans, including family member, but I think you made a lot of Oilers fans happy with that prediction right there because getting to the final, uh, man, would be just a huge step for this team. And I think in year eight with McDavid, that's the time to get there. And I'm not saying they would be favored against Boston. In fact, I, I know for a fact that Boston would be the favorite or who or you know, any of the top teams out East Carolina, whoever it may be. But I just get the feeling that the first chance that McDavid and Dreisaitl will get to play in the Stanley cup final, they're not going to let it slip through their fingers. Yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. And I think this, these coming playoffs will be just, it'll be an interesting storyline because there's so much, so many powerful teams in the East, like Boston or Carolina or New York or New Jersey. But I feel like 
they're going to probably beat the hell out of each other in the process. So they're not going to be 100% by the time they get to the finals, right? Well, that's the thing. You know, you hear people say things like, oh, Edmonton couldn't take out New Jersey, Carolina, Boston, Toronto. It's like they, they don't need to take out all the teams. They only need to beat one of them, right? Yeah. They, they, they only have to beat whichever one gets there. And if the Oilers do have a bit of an easier path and those teams have to really slug it out for however many uh, seven-game series between all these teams that are so close near the top of the standings, other than Boston, who's kind of separated. But that's just, it, it opens the door for the Oilers to maybe play a team that's kind of run down by the time they get there. So anything could happen. But Jeff, I just want to say thanks again so much for joining me tonight and talking Sabres and Oilers and just all hockey in general. Once again, it was really cool to meet you last year. Or not last year, last weekend at the at the Heavy Hockey Showdown in Edmonton. Uh, just where can people follow you on Twitter? Um, just, yeah, follow me at aid780 on Twitter there. Uh, my last name and the area code. You know, I thought of that really hard for that name. But, uh, but <laughs> you yeah. You remember though, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I've had the same name since like 2007. Like, geez, I've been on Twitter way too long. But, uh, but yeah. no, that's where you can find me on Twitter there, aid780. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I'm with uh, Heavy Hockey there. And I've only, you know, spit out a few articles so far, but I'm looking to do more. And, uh, you know, hopefully the sky's the limit for heavy hockey more articles. So, absolutely. And you know, I I'm glad that I was the first one that got to read both of those articles and uh, very well written. So I, I'm looking forward to more from you in the future. And hopefully, maybe we'll even have something this summer if the Sabers do uh, acquire a few more pieces. Be good to get your thoughts on that. I I would love to, and I look forward to it again. Like I said, and uh, once again, Eric, I'm glad we got the chance to finally do this. And yeah, thanks for man. having me on. That's awesome. All right, dude. Have a good night. Hey, thanks a lot. You too. So for Jeff Aid, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.